coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy weekend to you. It's going to be kind of a crazy weekend in and around Atlanta. The SEC Championship game is in town, and so you have two rabid fan bases descending on the capital city of Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, Georgia taking on Alabama. I have some thoughts on that game. You, you didn't come here to listen to me talk sports. But uh, would it not be for me to be a Georgia fan if I weren't to tell you that I'm really worried about this game? <laughs> I'm worried about every game. And, and I don't know if it's just because I'm uh, approaching 50 years old, and for most of my 50 years, uh, there has been that one or two games in the season where Georgia should win. They're the better-ranked team. They've the team with the better record, but, I mean, it's Alabama. And Alabama doesn't lose in Atlanta. It's weird. I remember when Alabama actually picked up a broadcast, like a radio affiliate here in Atlanta covering carrying their football games. I was like, ugh, that's disgusting. But there are a lot of Bama fans around here. Anyway, it's, it should be an interesting weekend. It's also going to be like a fairly wet weekend, too. We're expecting anywhere from one to three inches of rain in and around Metro Atlanta, so that's going to be interesting. And naturally, our friend Marta is here to save the day. Marta takes you a block from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now, you have to venture out into the elements to get from the MARTA station to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm trying to remember if it was that way at the Georgia Dome, and I don't quite remember if it... Yeah, I think you had to get out. Anyway, it's still so convenient. If you are coming to the game, but you don't want to drive all the way into downtown and try and figure out uh, where to spend 20 to $40 to park, but you kind of want to get here and enjoy all the festivities around the venue and in the venue, by all means, you know the story. Take Marta. Find yourself a satellite Marta lot. Park. Take the train in. It's so convenient. We say this every time there's a major event. Uh, all the Swifties that came in from the suburbs, oh my gosh, there's a fast train here in Atlanta. Yeah, it's called Marta. And your grandparents didn't want it extended into the county that you live in, so... It's not as convenient and well-known to you, but I, I got off my plane coming back from the Dominican Republic Monday night, by the way, and I was actually impressed with how many people were using MARTA, and this was 9 o'clock at night on a Monday night. Yeah, there was a, a steady, steady crowd of folks on that train getting on from the airport, heading to wherever they were heading. Once I got off my flight, and got to my baggage carousel to grab my bag that looks like every other bag on the carousel. I have got to get a luggage tag. Uh, actually, no, I got to throw that that thing away because Southwest ruined my bag. It's one of those plastic, you know, hard shell suitcases, and I I don't know why I didn't know why I spend money on these things to be honest with you because they always crack. They always do. So I can't really blame Southwest because they always crack no matter what airline I take. Although the other one was Spirit, and maybe it's just that these budget rate airlines aren't quite being as kind to the bags as the uh, pricier airlines are. Uh, anyway, I got off, I grabbed my uh, luggage at the carousel, and got on the Doraville train. And I, I must admit, even I, I don't use Marta enough to know when I get off at the uh, get on at the airport. I'm thinking, okay, which of these two trains am I taking? The good news is 
it doesn't matter which one I get on. They're both going to take me as far as I need to go. And I just need to remind myself that. So this is my little memo to me. Anyway, I got on the Doraville train, uh, got off at uh, Peachtree Center downtown. Uh, I was going to take the streetcar to the condo. It stops at the MLK library, but it was cold. When I say it was cold, it was 40 degrees and it was windy. And keep in mind, I had just gotten from the Dominican Republic where it was 85 degrees all five plus days that I was there. And so I, I did have a hoodie on, but it wasn't enough. So instead, <laughs> I came all the way up those two giant escalators to heaven from the MARTA station uh, downtown at Peachtree Center. And it was cold, and I waited about three minutes because I knew what time the streetcar was supposed to be there, and it wasn't there yet. So I just I grabbed the lift. I was like, Mm-mm. Found me a lift driver who had the heat on and got me to my door at the condo building instead. Can I just tell you, by the way, here we are as Atlanta residents. We we kind of brag about Marta to our out of town friends, like, oh yeah, yeah, you 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 guys don't want that in your neighborhood. You don't want that coming to Cobb County and Gwinnett County or whatever your exurban county is. You don't want that, but we like it, and it's convenient to you when you need it when you're coming into our town. Huh, isn't that interesting? But you know what? We kind of have to look inwards ourselves here in Atlanta because there's this fight brewing between those who are advocates of the streetcar becoming part of the Beltline as it was designed to all along. Ryan Gravel, if you follow him on social media, he's he's the guy. He's the one, the, the, brain, the brain behind the Beltline. It was like a class project when he was at Georgia Tech. Boom, he just sprung this idea, and everybody's like, this is a great idea. Anyway, Ryan Gravel has said, y'all, rail was always part of the Beltline to begin with. But because the rail wasn't implemented right away, we have the Beltline through about, I'd say, two-thirds or three-quarters of the loop around the, in, the, the inner parts of the city now. And we, we really like this green space. It's nice. It's walkable. Uh, you can take your bike, your rollerblades. You can walk your dog on pleasant days. It's just fantastic. And the thinking, oh, Rail's going to ruin it. And I, I, I wonder, what what, do, what kind of rail do they think is going to be going along? This isn't going to be like freight trains with a... <laughs> this is streetcars with a ding, ding, as it quietly pulls up to the platform to let you on or off. A day like today where it's like raw and 50 degrees and wet, you don't use the Beltline then, but you might use the streetcar that takes you along the Beltline to some of the many stops. A lot of folks who open businesses along the east side Beltline, the, the bars and the, the restaurants, oh, we don't want the rail. You'd want the rail today. You'd appreciate the rail today. Okay, I could go on and on about that. But in, in fact, I do every few weeks or so when a major event comes to Atlanta. And oh, look, the folks from outside town who don't like having money go to Marta actually do like Marta. Um, so we had new Georgia House and Georgia State Senate maps voted on today and along partisan party lines, the GOP maps, go figure, were the ones that were voted uh, out and will now be scrutinized by the same judge who said that the maps that they drew before weren't good enough. Did they meet the muster of the judge's edict to draw in new majority black voter districts? Here to discuss that with me and whether or not they succeeded at that is the chair of Fair Districts, Georgia, Ken Lawler. And by the way, he made an appearance <laughs> at some subcommittee hearings uh, this week, and, and I, I saw your speech. Uh, first of all, Ken, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you for making a little bit of time on what has become a hectic Friday afternoon heading into a hectic weekend here in Atlanta. 
Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It has been quite a week. Yes. Yeah. So how frustrating is it to see so much evidence, so much testimony for speaking against the GOP drawn maps that really didn't change the makeup of the, I guess, partisanship of the House and Senate? It looked a bit like, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it looked a bit like they took care of what the judge wanted them to do, but also were diluting some voting power for voters of color in other districts to accomplish it. Is that how it played out? Well, um, not exactly. I, I would say this. Big, big picture is that they, they did seem to comply with the judge's order to add black majority districts. There are a few areas where they have weakened black voters, but they have not taken away majority districts. Mm-hmm. But there's a few districts here and there where they weakened it by a few percentage points. For us, the bigger issue is that they've combined it with partisan takebacks, right? So our, our point of view, and we just expressed this in a committee not moments ago was you're supposed to comply with the court's order here, but partisan political considerations should be off the table. Mm -hmm. All you should be doing here is implementing these remedies as ordered by the judge. Let the partisan chips fall where they may. But they have acknowledged clearly that the way they drew the maps, yes, they added the black districts as requested or as required, Mm -hmm. but they have also tried to maintain their partisan, their current partisan lean. And without debating whether that partisan lean is good or not, which we have different opinions on that. The point was, this is not the time. Mm-hmm. That was our point of view. What does your gut tell you when these maps go back before the the, the same judge? Is, is the judge going to look at these and just be satisfied that his orders were met to create these uh, new uh, majority voter of color districts? Or is he going to dig deeper as a lot, uh, especially those on the left have this week, uh, dig deeper and say, uh, you guys managed to maintain your partisan advantage in doing so. But they did satisfy what he wanted them to do, didn't they? I think the judge is going to ignore, in my opinion, the partisan the political considerations. That's out of bounds for the court case. Yeah. The court case is whether the judge will have to determine, along with the plaintiffs, did they, in fact, properly implement the black majority districts? There have been arguments advanced already by one of the plaintiffs in the case, the Alpha Phi Alpha case, and the plaintiff's attorneys for them, which is the ACLU and another law firm, who says, well, yes, you added these two new districts, but the way you did it, you didn't correct some of the violations in the districts that the judge named. So there's, there's more nuance to it than just saying counting heads and saying, mm. how many black districts do you have? Mm. The judge said, here are the districts that violate what, where, the, where the existing maps are violating voters' rights. Mm. The, as the, 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 the ACLU folks have said, or the, the plaintiff's attorneys have said, you may not have addressed all the violations in doing it. And so there's some nuance. So I I think they're going to likely go back to court and make these arguments. And the judge will have to then consider those arguments as to whether what they've done is good enough or not. But I do think the judge will not look at partisan considerations because that's out of bounds. Right. So do you think he'll accept these maps? I don't know. I am not a lawyer. I would say, you know, first blush, they have done by, by the numbers what he asked, but there's other nuances that have been raised by other people who do more sophisticated analysis than I do or we do. Uh, I think there are some serious considerations there. The particular case in on the Senate side of this, the, uh, the district that Jason Estevez uh, currently uh, serves on, brings up... Uh, one, uh, again, one of those scenarios where it was almost as if to satisfy the judge's edict with one voter of color base, they disenfranchise another voter of color base to make it happen. And I'm not in touch with that specific uh, district change. Um, what I do know is that the, the District 6, Senate District 6, which is 
uh, Jason's uh, current center, Esteban's current district, mm. was kind of uprooted mm. and taken elsewhere in the state. And so what was left was a, a kind of a, you know, a, a, a different district for him to be in. Mm. I don't know the particulars sitting here um, of that particular district, what the, what the blend or mix of non-white voters is. I, so I can't answer your question any more specifically than that. Sure, I understand. Uh, so you looked, I'm sure, at both camps' uh, versions of what they would like to see presented and voted upon. Which, which, which party came out with, in, in your opinion, the better maps? Well, our point of view, it, it depends. Um, it was actually a mixed bag. Yeah. On the Senate maps, we said that the, uh, the, the issue with the majority party's map was that while it remedied the situation, uh, again, with our simple-minded analysis, subject to other people's doing more work, mm. but it remedied the situation, but it has partisan takebacks. Mm. The, the map that was offered by the Democratic caucus in the Senate had the benefit of fixed the situation and did not do partisan takebacks. So our view is uh, that would be a, a better option. But frankly, we don't advocate for them picking you know, one map over the other. We think they should go back to the drawing board and find a good compromise that um, remedies and maybe addresses some of these concerns that have been raised by other people about the remedy mm. and leave the partisan considerations off the table. So on the Senate side, you know, the, the Democratic map, in our view, is closer to the closer to the uh, pin. Mm. Um, on the House side, curiously enough, the map offered by the Democrats, we believe, is missing one of the five black majority districts that was ordered. Mm -hmm. um, they have four that were four that they in, in, uh, built and one that's close. And, and it's a very high percentage at 48 percent, I believe, black population mm -hmm. instead of 50. And um, again, there's some more nuanced uh, work that was done uh, by the Democratic caucus in the House to show that that district would, in fact, perform as an effective black majority district, even though the population is less than 50. Mm -hmm. But by the numbers, you know, depending on how, how strictly the judge interprets his own order, saying it's not a black majority district, uh, does it perform like one? We don't know how the judge reacts to that question. So our view is that the Democratic map had its own challenge with respect to that on the House side. Gotcha. Ken Lawler, chair at Fair Districts Georgia, heading into the weekend. I know you got a Marta to catch. We were just talking about that earlier. I'll let you get to that. Well, Thank you. Guess for what? We got a congressional map that just dropped on us in the last hour, so uh. we get to, we get to start all over again for next week. <laughs> all right. Well, enjoy your weekend. <laughs> You've got Thank that to look you, forward sir. to. I appreciate it. Ken Lawler with Fair all Districts right. Georgia. Thanks for the time. Right. Bye bye. We do have that map hot off the presses. We'll dive into it in just a few minutes and try and describe it to you as best we can when the Ron Show returns. Welcome back to the Ron Show. For the weekend, and it's going to be a lot like most of Friday has been gray and rainy, and it could be very rainy throughout Atlanta. Tomorrow would not be a good time for that with kickoff at 4 o'clock for the SEC championship game. Nonetheless, Mother Nature did not ask us what we wanted for this weekend, and you know what? We haven't had a whole lot of rain in the last couple, three months, so let's take it when we get, get it, I guess. Um, all right, new congressional map came out, and this one may just out and out defy uh, a judge's orders to redraw maps that created additional majority black districts, both at the state house level, state Senate level, and at the federal congressional level. And I'm starting to think now that this map may just be a bit of a middle finger from the Georgia GOP to the judge's order to draw these maps in a more fair manner. 
in a manner befitting of the Voting Rights Act, Section 2. You may recall U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones ordered new maps in saying that the current maps violate the Voting Rights Act, prohibiting racial discrimination elections, and instead... They uh, they came, they were kind of slick with the state the state maps the state house and senate maps they drew in more majority black districts while maintaining their partisan makeup and in essence as I mentioned a little bit in my last segment kind of taking from some other districts and heavy voter of color influence districts to create these districts just slick uh, we'll see if if these meet a judge's muster I happen to think the congressional map though is going to be a problem. So this new map did not provide any additional opportunities for black representation. It also leaves in place what appears to be a 9-to-5 GOP advantage. And, okay, so I can sit here and do the map and talk to you about what that looks like. We're talking about 64% of Georgia's House representation being held by GOP politicians. Georgia hasn't voted GOP at 64% clip or better since 1988. Now, let's go into some finer detail about what this GOP map does. And by the way, the GOP, this is like their, their second swing at Representative Lucy McBath. So in this new map, nine districts would become majority white. Five would have a majority black electorate. There are eight majority white districts now, four majority black districts in one district where no race makes up a majority. And that's the one that Representative McBath represents. Mark Neeson and Maya Prabhu in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, penned an article that really spells this out pretty well and reached out to Charles Bullock, a UGA political scientist, author of the book, Redistricting the Most Political Activity in America. Mm. He said, slow learners, I guess. They're willing to take a risk of the judge stepping in and having someone draw the congressional maps, but they weren't willing to do that with their own districts. He says what Georgia looks like they're doing is to be going, quote, down the Alabama path, which refers to that state's refusal to comply with a court order to add a black district. And of course, a special master drew one for them. So it is the 7th congressional district that McBath holds that the GOP really sought to reshape. There is this. Most voters there are people of color, but no single race makes up a majority. And so they played around with that district to shift to the conservative northern Atlanta suburbs making it overwhelmingly white, with just 9% of its voting age population made up of black residents. As the AJC article continues, meanwhile, the map makes the 6th congressional district west of Atlanta, represented by Republican Rich McCormick, 52% black. During next year's election, both McCormick and McBath could run for different seats, and there's no requirement that they live in their districts. The map appears, according to the AJC article, to conflict with U.S. District Judge Steve Jones' order, which said that violations of the Voting Rights Act, which prohibits racial discrimination in elections, can't be corrected by eliminating districts with substantial minority populations. The state cannot remedy the Section 2 violations described herein by eliminating minority opportunity districts elsewhere in the plans, Jones wrote in in his order. And that takes me back to what I think they did at the state, House, and Senate level, too. But I guess that's open to interpretation. As the AJC writes, the map will quickly land back in federal court once it clears the Republican-controlled General Assembly by the judge's December 8th deadline. If Jones finds the map violates his ruling, 
he could appoint an expert to redraw Georgia's maps yet again without approval from the General Assembly. Appeals would likely follow, but House Speaker John Byrne said he believes the map fulfills the judge's requirement, saying the map meets the promise we made when this process began. It fully complies with the judge's order while also following Georgia's traditional redistricting principles. We look forward to passing this fair redistricting plan. We'll pick up this conversation after the break on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so we've been talking about maps for a lot of this week, and the new federal congressional map the GOP proposed dropped today, and it's absolutely absurd. I'll go back to a point that I made last segment. Again, 64% of Georgia's electorate does not vote for Republican candidates. Has not since 1988, but he thinks that status quo is okay. Lucy McBath, by the way, oh, she mad. Her camp releasing a statement, the Georgia legislature has once again released draft congressional maps with one goal, removing Representative McBath from Congress. Georgia Republicans are proposing a plan which moves Georgia 7 over 20 points Republican. The campaign released the following statement. Georgia Republicans have yet again attempted to subvert voters by changing the rules. We will look to the ruling from Judge Jones in the coming weeks before announcing further plans. Regardless, Congressional McBath refuses to let an extremist few in the state legislature determine when her time serving Georgians in Congress is done. That the statement from campaign manager Jake Orvis. Okay, I'm going to move on because there's so much other stuff to talk about uh, happening uh, domestically, globally. Let's start with this wacko stuff from Midtown Atlanta earlier today. Now at three, we are following that breaking news out of Midtown Atlanta. I'm Tracy Hutchins. And I'm Alan Devlin. Two people are hurt, police, fire, and federal agents right now, all on scene. This one remains active. Atlanta News First, Chelsea Vinefort is live there on Spring Street with these breaking details. Chelsea, what can you tell us? First of all, when you hear somebody say something's going on on Spring Street, oh, God, avoid Spring Street. Ugh, what a beating. It makes you want to get on the 7585 downtown connector and just sit in traffic instead because Spring Street is a one-way street that's always packed with traffic during this time of day. And then you you have scaffolding from buildings thrown in for good measure. You have potholes that weren't there that are there now. You have those giant, like, four-inch plates that they put on top of the other potholes that you may have known about that you have to navigate through. And now you've got to deal with crackpots outside the Israeli consulate. Oh, I gave away the story. Uh, Let's go back to that scene. Yeah, Alan, this is Spring Street and 12th. You can see the scene back here. All kinds of Atlanta police officers and ATF agents are out here. We know that the police chief is going to be giving us an update here in the next couple of minutes. Right now, they've only confirmed that two people are injured uh, in a fire-related incident. Uh, A little bit towards the left, you can't see it now behind this Atlanta police cruiser, but uh, we can see several agents that are over there looking at debris. It looks possibly like burned clothing. We can also see... uh, a burned backpack sitting on a bench over here to the left of this large building, which houses the Israeli consulate here in Atlanta. Uh, We know that their office, they told us everybody was okay and business was as usual. Um, But we did speak with a woman who works across the street here. Uh, She told us that she was in the back doing some work earlier today when she started hearing a lot of sirens. That's when she walked outside and saw this massive emergency response. Take a listen. So I stepped outside and I happened to see um, two fire trucks engines over there along with two uh, Grady ambulances. 
Um, I did see them pull out a couple of stretchers. Um, I didn't see anyone get transported at that time. So again, Atlanta police expected to provide a press update here in just a couple of minutes. We're working to learn more details about who was involved and the status of those two people that were injured. So that is a WANF TV news and the Atlanta Journal Constitution adding to that, that uh, two folks have been injured in uh, what appears to be an anti-Israeli pro-Palestinian demonstration. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you set yourself on fire? To, I just, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand that. I understand the cause. I really do. I don't understand the incident. Uh, of course, another news, the ceasefire ended, and both sides are blaming the other for ending the ceasefire, but that just means no more hostages being released, no more uh, Palestinian captors or captives or, or prisoners in Israeli jails are going to be released. It's, it's back to fighting. Which means it's back to politicizing ceasefire versus are you pro-Israel enough, bro? Versus if you dare say anything pro-Palestinian, does that also make you a terrorist sympathizer? There's so much hyperbole, it's uh, nauseating. And at the end of the day, you, you still have innocents who are just dying needlessly. I said this at the height of the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war. Well, obviously not on the air, but to anyone I was having conversation with or on social media... If you don't think that wounding and killing women and children, young men, innocent people, period, doesn't perpetuate division and foster a lifetime or longer of hatred, pure seething hatred for the other side, then you're just mistaken. And honestly, it's funny. We were talking about Henry Kissinger yesterday on the show. That that tends to be the, the Kissinger mantra since the early 1970s. Bomb your opponents into oblivion, into submission, and they'll they'll quieten up and walk right. Well, when does that ever work? That just does not work. I can think of two cases. World War II, the German people, the people of Japan. That's the two times it's worked. But they were in the wrong from the jump. And it's way more complicated with Israel and Palestine because both lay claim to the land. And Western nations came in and meddled, just like they did with Iran in the 1950s, just like they did throughout the Middle East. Iraq is an amalgamation of several cultures that were just kind of put together under one country, although they could be three separate countries. But we drew lines from our part of the world, and we know better than they. Okay, so closer to home, the big news of the day. I say closer to home, closer to Washington, D.C. The big news of the day, Garrett Hake, NBC News reporting this. Well, Joe, a Congress that has had several historic moments now records another, as you said, just the sixth member ever expelled from the House, the first time in decades, and the first member ever expelled who was neither a member of the Confederacy or himself a convicted <laughs> felon. But Santos, as you said, faced 23 federal criminal charges and perhaps the final nail in his political coffin, that damning ethics report that came mm -hmm. out before Thanksgiving, in which a bipartisan committee found that he had been, in their words, blatantly stealing from his own campaign. Now, this is the third attempt to expel Santos, and the first to be successful, as you said, with a two-thirds majority vote here. It was, frankly, his Republican colleagues who ultimately decided they were fed up with the congressman from Long Island, who had really stopped defending himself against the particular allegations against him about his conduct, and in recent days, largely been making an argument based on precedent, that the House didn't want to, for the first time, throw someone out who had not been convicted of anything. That 
argument apparently uh, unsatisfactory for all Democrats, save one, I believe, on the final vote count, and more than 100 of his Republican colleagues who found him to be an embarrassing distraction from the work they're trying to do with their slim majority, which, Joe, will now get slimmer. Santos is out today. Mm. His staff will stay on under the direction of the House clerk to continue work on constituent services, and it'll be up for the governor of New York to set a special election to replace him, a special election in a district that Joe Biden carried in 2020 mm -hmm. that should be extremely competitive as we go into the federal election year of 2024. So it's bye-bye, Georgie, but does that mean maybe, hello, the return of Kitara Rivash? We'll wait and see. I'm curious. Now, you know what this does, right? This gives me the opportunity to give you some Randy Rainbow. I made a mistake, and I think humans are flawed, and we all make mistakes. Ain't he a sack of BS? Yes. How'd they elect such a mess? Well, I think he might be high. I'm Jewish. <laughs> Who could have foreseen this shady queen? All he does is lie. I've never met him. Oh, I never said that. Because life's a fucking fantasy for Santos. Santos lies all day and night. Even every MAGA sick of fans knows something about this dude ain't right. <laughs> His smile's just a blatant work of fiction with which the facts don't ever quite align. Attempts to scam his base are commonplace. His past's as spotty as his big gay face. Oh, everything's a fantasy for Santos. No wonder they want Santos to resign. I understand everybody wants to nitpick at me. Who everything he does is just a shit. Nothing that he claims is true. He said Britney Spears played his bar mitzvah. Even though he's not a Jew. He lies and says he graduated college. Denies each Ponzi scheme and sketchy deal. His colleagues clear their throats when Santos gloats that he, in fact, invented post it notes. Oh, everything is nonsense with this Mary. Says he danced in Brazil as a drag queen for hire, then finished Baruch as a magna cum liar. It's who he excelled as a volleyball star till he landed the cover of Harper's Bazaar, but went on to be known as a Wall Street tycoon and the very first woman to land on the moon only after he fought in the Vietnam War, which I think he made up for publicity. Or he sailed up the Missouri with Lewis and Clark and then produced Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. He survived the Titanic then had to disrobe in the movie, which won him his first Golden Globe. He invented the internet, walked with a stare. His mother was Elvis, his father is Cher. He led the Congressional Science Committee. He starred as Samantha on Sex in the City. His album just dropped, he'd love to adopt, he's full out crazy and must be stopped. I made a mistake. Humans are flawed and we all make mistakes. Hey there, Georgie girl, turn your so fancy free. Looking at your daddy issues on the government oh side. You nut job. Hey there, Georgie girl, actually your name is Anthony. Who? Did you bump your head, hunty, or are you just playing it's clear you were in hell as a child and will we know why So now you just continue to lie You lunatic, hey there, Georgie girl Shut your stupid hole and don't deflect Find a little self-respect and maybe it's you To 
fantasy for Santos. Chances that he lasts are slim. Call him on his bluffs and he'll recant those. He thinks we're as dumb as him. As he. An excellent reflection of his party. The bullshit is their favorite game to play. Tries to spin, he just can't win. His nose keeps growing as the feds close in. Cause everything's a fantasy with Santos. My fantasies that Santos goes away. How long until this asshole goes away? Oh, goodbye. Oh, Randy Rainbow. By the way, I'll give you the uh, video to that, the link in the show notes at ronshowetl.com because everybody should enjoy plenty of Randy Rainbow. Oh, incidentally, Randy is playing Buckhead Theater. Saturday night shows at 7:30. Limited seats still available. I will put the ticket link from the Buckhead Theater in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com. Go see Randy Rainbow. I kind of don't think I'm going to be able to do that only because the Georgia game starts at four and Randy Rainbow starts at 7:30. Do you see how complex it is to be a gay sports fan? Ugh. Decisions. Georgia-Alabama game, which we know will go down to the wire because it's Georgia-Alabama. And or Randy Rainbow, or can you do both? Or would I be exhausted from one to do the other? I just don't know. Anyway, one last segment of the Ron Show when we return here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the weekend, Ron Show, and I thought I would do for you what you shouldn't have to sit through yourself. I watched the Gavin Newsom Ron DeSantis debate. One, Newsom, not on the ballot for the office of the presidency to begin in 2025, and the other, without a snowball's chance in hell of winning that office himself. But for some reason, the two camps got together and thought, this would be good television. And it, I mean, if you're a political wonk, maybe. But this is kind of like what ESPN does with all those bowl games that nobody cares about. For the entire month of December, the whodatdaddy.com bowl uh, from Greater Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm just pulling names out of nowhere because I think the Independence Bowl plays in Shreveport, but and it's got a sponsor and I don't know it. But all these bowl games between these six and six teams that nobody cares about except for the few hardened fans of, of each school who are going to watch, ESPN puts those on because it fills the TV grid with something kind of cheap programming-wise that sponsors throw hordes of money at them to put on. So ESPN benefits with, you know, us watching something other than two squawking heads yelling at each other in replay into primetime or a 30 for 30 documentary that is not generating more than 100, 200,000 viewers. They get, you know, a million or so viewers for these bowl games. <clears throat> Fox News kind of did the same thing. Sean Hannity thought, hey, let's, uh, let's try this. I made nice with Gavin Newsom. I thought Gavin Newsom was brilliant. The last time he was on with Sean Hannity, by the way. And obviously, Ron DeSantis has carte blanche at Fox News. Anyway, so they put this little spectacle on. And I thought I'd give you some of the highlights. Gavin Newsom, by the way, no chill, man. No chill whatsoever. This is part of his opening line. And and, and I want to answer that very directly. I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm, I'm here uh, to tell the truth about the Biden-Harris record and also compare and contrast Ron DeSantis's record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America in reverse. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to roll back hard-earned national rights on voting rights, on civil rights, mm -hmm. on LGBTQ rights, on women's rights, mm -hmm. not just access to abortion 
but also access to contraception. You want to weaponize grievance. You are focusing on false separateness. You in particular, Ron, are on a banning binge, a cultural purge, intimidating and humiliating people you disagree with. You and President Trump are really trying to light democracy on fire. So, Sean, there are profound differences tonight, and I look forward to engaging them. But there's one thing in closing that we have in common is. is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. <laughs> oh, man. Now, let me just say, anybody who has fears about the GEO, or I'm sorry, the, the Democratic Party bench, what our prospects look like in 2028, if Gavin's the guy, I'm okay. I'm quite okay. If he's, if he's, the, if he's the heir apparent, I, I think we'll be fine. Because the man really thinks on his feet. Well, he actually thinks sitting in a chair, too, because he was, again, on Sean Hannity and just kind of owned that night. And I don't know why, but Sean decided to go back for more, uh, as did Ron DeSantis, and Gavin had plenty to give. Let's talk a little bit about Bidenomics, because I'm happy to take that on right now as well. And I think it's You're a fair point. You're a big point. supporter of it. That's, I, I appreciate you acknowledging 14 that. 14 million jobs, 10 times more than the last three Republican presidents combined. Because he had 815,000 manufacturing the, the, the jobs. jobs were because of the COVID Are you kidding 3.9% unemployment. As he continues to talk over me, I'll talk to the American people. 3.9% unemployment, the lowest black unemployment in American history, the lowest unemployment for Hispanics in American history, the lowest unemployment for women in 70 years, the lowest black poverty rates in history. That's this administration's agenda. And by the way, as you smile and smirk over there, mm. you should know this, the American people. Here's a guy who celebrated Bidenomics just this week, mm. celebrating $28 million that came into your state because of the Chips and Science Act, one of the most significant economic plans right. since FDR. I'm proud of the work Biden and Harris have done. A lot of what Ron DeSantis is proud of is thumbing his nose at science and medical consensus during lockdowns and deciding to reopen Florida, beaches and all, never mind the per capita death and all that stuff. You know, science and data and math are not friends of the GOP. He, he's, he's proud of that. And Gavin Newsom kind of has a little history reminder. He is owned by the teachers' union. You will never cross the teachers' union. This is union. just a lot of hot Lock, air. stock, and barrel. Let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about your record on COVID. You passed an emergency declaration before the state of California did. You closed down your beaches, your bars, your restaurants. False. It's a fact. The you had quarantines. False. You had quarantines. You had checkpoints all over the state of, Cal uh, of Florida. By the way, I didn't say that. Donald Trump laid you out on this. Dead to right. You that's did that. True. You followed science. You followed Fauci. That's Ron not, that's not he followed science. That's not he followed Fauci. You were promoting. Why did everyone leave Hold California on. You were promoting vaccines. We were open. You were promoting we vaccines. Were you even wore a mask in we September. Were open. Son, you were closed. If it's if it's okay with you, we'll do this. Why were you closed? Why don't we do this so in a long? way where we both can have? Why were you closed for so long? You wore you a mask. Closed. You're gonna. He is owned by. You were closed. If it's if it's okay with you. We'll do this. Why were you closed Why don't we do this so in a long? way where we both can have Why were you closed for so long? You wore we a mask with right, Donald guys, Trump closed. outside let it in September 2020. He did all of that until he decided to fall prey to the fringe of 
his party. And as a consequence of that, Ron, tens of thousands of people lost their lives. Not true. The equivalent, if I had your policies, the equivalent of 10 9-11s. Tens of thousands of people lost their lives. And for what, Ron? Those are more lies. In fact, the Lancet just did a study. <laughs> Florida had a lower standardized COVID death rate than California did. That's a Lancet me, study. Me, yeah, one more thing. One more thing. The other thing we had, the, the other thing California had, your California had higher excess mortality than, than All right, gentlemen, Florida. gentlemen. Let me talk about that, the excess uh, mortality I, I, real quick. Honestly, because the hold excess on a second. Mortality this, is other I want to ask you both. If, Slow down. I want everyone to be heard. Let me just float in here and fact check for you. According to the CDC, death per capita, 99.9 in California, 111.7 in Florida. Just thought I'd float in and do that for you. And by the way, before any Ron Kemp apologists chime in, Georgia was even worse, 135.9. Okay, obviously immigration is red meat on Fox News Channel, and you would think Sean Hannity's mediating this or moderating this debate... It's on Fox News. Surely Don, uh, Ron DeSantis is going to clean up here. Well, first from our own Border Patrol, are the American people being lied to? I don't think they're being lied to. The Biden administration put out a comprehensive plan day one when he got sworn into office three years ago. And the Republican Party didn't touch it. They haven't moved on it. Bingo. They play politics with us. And I'll be honest with you, I think there's probably one person I wouldn't listen to on this topic more than the guy that I'm standing next to, Ron DeSantis. He is absolutely he lacks any credibility on the issue of immigration. When he was in Congress, he supported amnesty. When he's in Congress, you supported John Boehner's bill. It's a fact. When you were in Congress, you supported Obama's. You supported Obama's efforts to advance comprehensive reform. The last guy you want to talk to on the immigration, your immigration policy can best be described as a governor from the state of Florida going into another state, the state of Texas, lying to migrants, promising them jobs and housing, sending them to an island, Martha's Vineyard, and then sending them to a parking lot in Sacramento, California. I met with those migrants that you lied to under false pretense. That kind of gamesmanship, using human beings Mm. as pawns, I think is disqualifying. So again, a guy who stands here who's been out on the Republican debate stage saying, well, he's going to be tough. He's going to shoot people with backpacks uh, and that he has a strategy to potentially even invade our second largest trading partner, uh, Mexico, that has a record of supporting amnesty and supporting reforms under the Obama administration is the last guy to be standing on stage talking about the issue of immigration. So the truth is I could have given 20 minutes to review of this, but uh, let me just give you the, the, uh, another of the finer points. Uh, they were talking about crime and crime rates and Newsom kind of eviscerated that uh, right-wing trope as well, but also... I love this guy talking about backing the blue when you dangled pardons for January 6th insurrectionists, 85 of them that were literally were charged with attacking law enforcement. You talk a big game about backing the blue. With all due respect to the crime rate, again, he's not answering the fact that he has a higher murder rate than the state of California, a 66% higher gun death rate than the state of California. And I can easily answer this point. Gun safety saves lives. I don't think it. I know it. And the data bears that out in the state of California. California proudly does lead in terms of common sense gun safety. Common sense gun safety saves lives. You had the chance to do something meaningful. You had a chance to do something on behalf of those Parkland families. You did the exact opposite. You moved in the exact opposite direction with all due respect look at your own backyard ron so you're I not mining that, your backyard on that, this issue I will. last one and again 
Gavin Newsom with no chill. You know, it, it, I think it's a question some people are probably asking. I know Nikki Haley's campaign is asking, when are you going to drop out and at least give Nikki Haley a shot to take down Donald Trump in this nomination? <laughs> she laid you out. Please. You're a walking hypocrite. You're a walking hypocrite. What about China? Oh, China. oh, me. I tell you, if Democrats debated like Gavin Newsom, I, he needs to open up a seminar, a camp or whatever, and send every Democrat running for high office to that camp. Uh, that's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Today's show notes will happen for you, as always, at ronshowatl.com. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. Go dogs.